It's Topics, the podcast where two comedians get serious about universal topics. Uh, Joining myself, Michael Ian Black, is my co-host, Michael Showalter. And today, we're going to explore 80% of the topic, at least 80%, I should say, the topic, the rights of the self versus the rights of the community. How are you, Michael? I'm great, and and I want to I want to backtrack just a, a beat to what you were just saying about covering eighty percent because I don't know if, um, in terms of the order in which these podcasts are airing, if people understand that we do have this new ground rule where um, we are making it a kind of an official thing where we're going to try to cover eighty percent of the topic. So I just wanted to kind of like kind of put a fine whatever, I guess, you know, underline what you had said and say we really are now making it um, a top priority for each episode of the show to when we talk about the topics that we're trying to actually cover at least 80 percent. Otherwise, I think we're we're not doing our jobs, essentially. I'm glad you did that. I'm I'm glad you underline that point because I do think sometimes people listen to these out of sequence and you might not understand the 80% rule. Um, It's one of two ground rules that we set. Uh, That was number one. And the second one was that there are no rules. And the there are no rules rule sort of contradicts the first rule. But again, it speaks to the second rule, because mm-hmm. because in in there being no rules, of course, that allows the possibility of contradiction to exist. Mm-hmm. Um, well, and it's, it's, but it's, you know it, what you're you're it, making me think of something though. But go ahead, I interrupted you. But go I, ahead. I, well, I just wanted to make the small point that it's that tension, that state of contradiction, where I think all of the juiciest stuff lives. Mm-hmm. Um, so continue. Well, I guess, and maybe, maybe, um, maybe what you're saying is more to the point and, and we should just stick with things the way they are, but you're, you're, you are right though, that our first, if our, I guess our second rule is that there are no rules, which, and it really does contradict the first rule that we want to cover 80% of the topic. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering if is that contradiction maybe not okay in which case and this is what i'm trying to say do we change the 80% rule to a guideline and not a rule hmm and so i guess what i'm proposing is that instead of making it a rule that we cover 80% that i would say we have one rule and the rule is that there are no rules but we also have a guideline and the guideline is that we would try to cover 80% of the topic and then that way it's not a rule. What's interesting to me about what you're saying, and it is very interesting, is the semantic difference between guideline and rule. And I think it speaks to today's topic, the rights of the individual versus the rights of the collective, because those two uh, uh, ideas, the rights of the individual and the rights of the collective, often are 
in opposition to each other and they do have a kind of inherent tension that can sometimes only be resolved by rules which we call laws or guidelines which maybe we call uh, uh Param parameters. parameters i was even going to say um um morals mm. mm -hmm. a, a kind of a, a road map yes. for um how we conduct ourselves yes. in society yes. and i w and i really want to talk about this so much but i do want to just ask is should we just institute the 80% as a guideline and not a rule. Well, what's so fascinating about you even asking that question is it does speak to sort of larger societal concerns about at one point at what point does uh, do we do we have a kind of top-down authority versus a bottom-up right. authority? Yeah. So, so we'll I, just come we'll just come back to it. What the actual nitty-gritty of it but okay, well and, so and go, again so i ahead. think that's so interesting because what you're saying is is exactly what i think society sometimes do which is say well you know we know we have this inherent tension and we're going to live in that tension i see what you're doing well i'm what i'm trying to do is and i like and i like it. well i'm trying to use this specific example as a kind of meta example yeah. for everything that we're yes, talking about yes you're you're using this example as a litmus test mm. for the very topic that we're now discussing. Well, I think I, I think that's we, so interesting. Well, it was important to me that the topic move away from the theoretical and the abstract and the heady into the practical. And what right. you said, I thought, was such a was such a uh, perfect word, nitty gritty, into the nitty gritty. Yeah. I like yeah, but that. I, I was trying to be practical. Like I was uh, literally trying to get us to just agree that from now on the eighty percent rule is no longer a rule; it's a guideline. Mm. That wasn't that wasn't theoretical to me. That was like literally me just saying, "Can we do that?" Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But it I understand so that I understand that we can just come back to it. Mm-hmm. Let's start with the rights of the individual. Um, in this society, in Western culture. I think we tend to value the rights of the individual uh, over sometimes the rights of the collective, mm -hmm. uh, which they tend to value more in Eastern cultures. And I wonder what I wonder how you define the rights of the individual. Me? <laughs> you're, the, you're my co-host. <laughs> oh God! I mean, well, look, I you know I. I think um, I've always been a, a big proponent of all the things that were written in the Magna Carta. Yes, which are what? Um, and I know, I know, I know, and I know you know, but I'm, I'm of saying course for I listeners. Know. Of course, I know. I mean, it's almost like, do I even need to say it? Right, but know? I'm saying for our listeners who may not right. be as familiar with the Magna Carta as you and I, it yeah. might be worth sort of going through step by step paragraph by paragraph the magna carta yeah. so I'll, I'll leave that to you well it's just such a great document mm -hmm. and it was written so long ago mm -hmm. and and yet so much of it is still resonates today and so like I what specifically it, do you think resonates oh today? god there's almost so many things about it that i almost feel like why start it's almost like why do one thing when there's so many so mm -hmm. i will just say all well of just it, like right well limit limit it to let's get a little bit more into the okay. as you say nitty-gritty okay. the specific okay. and just give me your sort of favorite thing from magna carta okay well my favorite well 
I think the entire section about the Magna is clearly mm-hmm. uh, a part where he really zones in on in on something that resonates for me. Mm-hmm. The whole idea that um, we all have this Magna thing yes. that we just are so passionate about. And that, and then the carta part, which is just like you, you put it in a cart and it's yours and right. you know, no, I, yeah, you, I think you expressed that as well or better than I possibly could have. I mean, what do you think about it? I love it. Mm-hmm. I really do. I really do love the Magna Carta. Yeah. What part do you love? I mean, I, I, you know. uh, well, if I had to rank them, I definitely would put the Magna part first, like you do yeah, yeah. and the Carta part second and then you you never want to put the carta before the horse (laughs) (laughs) great um but the stuff about individual rights i think are is really great in that in the magna carta and the fact that it was written so long ago so long ago uh over 200 years ago oh at least mike at least no i know i'm saying at least obviously yeah um just the fact that it was written at least 200 years ago, but still has such resonance. I agree oh, with it, you. It makes it, it makes it one of the greatest documents ever written. Yeah. I mean, it really resonates even yes. today. Yes. And, and, and it was, and it was, it was, he wrote it so long ago and look, the language is, feels a little bit archaic. Of course, you know? of course, um, because language evolves. But the, but the basic, ideas of it the sentiment just, the sentiment is so resonant well the, and the way it informed our founding documents i'm speaking uh, our as as american founding documents uh and the way that echoes through time from the magna carta to the declaration of independence to the mayflower charter to uncle tom's cabin and then on finally to the constitution yes uh is God. So, it's so interesting what you're saying. Well, because you because there's such a direct lineage between yes. all those documents, and then of course, obviously, the Red Badge of Courage, and yes. so you get all of the you get this yes. this melting pot of of documents yes. and ideas, and um, you know, well, we have this we have this in our country, or you know, in our in our union, we have this incredible canon of great works of documents as you say some of them come in the form of a book in an in a in an essay and i mean i think some of the ones that you've mentioned are just stand out to me as as it's almost like they were divinely inspired you know mm-hmm. well in particular when i look at something like um oh i i guess i'm going to i'm going to quote from the declaration of independence now uh, mm-hmm. And it's just its opening for yeah. score Gore. and seven and years seven ago, years ago, yes, our founding fathers, fathers. et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. And, 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 and just the language, those words ring out in me like an entire choir of bells. Yes. Liberty bells, literally yes. liberty, liberty bells. Yes. Because they speak to the fundamental rights of of the individual. And can I say something else too, especially, I mean, that's such a famous, um, paragraph of writing mm-hmm. is the force, the four score and seven year thing. And what I love about it so much is yes, it was written a long time ago, mm-hmm. but it, it resonates. Yes. I mean, the, I, the sentiment of it, the ideas, this, this fundamental ideas of it 
have so much resonance to today. Yes. Well, when President Jefferson wrote those words, I think he had a, an eye and and an ear towards future generations. He was a great writer. Well, he was. Um, he was he was our president. Obviously, he was a writer. He was a playwright. He was a songwriter. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he knew he understood the language. Yes. And he, knew- well, he was a he was a wordsmith. Yes. I mean, yes. I mean, that's that wasn't an actual job back then. But but I mean, you know, they had a blacksmith. They had a shoesmith. Thomas Jefferson, President Thomas Jefferson, my my apologies, was a wordsmith. Yes. Yes. And his 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 weapon was his pen. Well, there and, and he's the one who said the pen is mightier than the sword. Yes. And he was right. Yes. He until was so I right. mean until he was killed in that duel. Yes. When he yes. was killed in the duel, obviously was, the sword became mightier, but but his words still live on. So in that sense, I think we can say yes, President Jefferson's pen was mightier because his soul uh may have deceased, but his words carry through the ages. And for and for for those of you that that I just do want to say like quick history lesson alert um, Thomas Jefferson and Aaron Burr famously dueled in now in my hometown of Princeton New Jersey mm-hmm. they famously had a duel on the streets of Princeton and both men were wounded and killed in the in that duel yes and it's just sort of a stands as kind of a lesson about well, hubris more than anything, I think. Yes, hubris, and and also a kind of a of a of a make love not war. Mm. I think that you know it was a national tragedy, mm-hmm. and um, because both well, to both lose, men because to lose two presidents that way exactly it, it, it exactly. was just was was such a shame for the country as a whole. Oh, I was going to say both men were beloved, of course, of mm-hmm. course, um, and they were fighting over you know, something very stupid, silly, you know, and I think this, but I want to bring it back to, this is all about what your original, what we had originally uh, brought up, which is the whole idea of the group versus the individual. And I think in that, in the, in the case of the famous duel between Jefferson and Burr, they sort of, decided that the individual was greater than the than this than the group and yeah, and, and the now group we're, suffered. we're and well we're still suffering we're still paying the price right because it was that duel of course that set in motion the events that started the civil war that's definitely one version of it but i i want to hear more i want to hear y- y- your thoughts on that because i have heard that interpretation uh yes well president jefferson and president burr obviously agreed to a duel. And as you said, the issue at stake was trivial and lost to history. We don't even know what it was. Um, but Jefferson, of course. Well, well what, what we know, here's what we know. We know that they were, that, that it started as a, an argument that both Burr and Jefferson came, that it came to blows. Yes. And then that time passed, mm-hmm. and in the in that passage of time, someone challenged the other one to the duel. And what we don't know is who challenged who. That's right, um, but we do know that on the dusty streets of Princeton, New Jersey, because of course Princeton back then was dusty. 
Yes. It, it's no long, it, and it's worth noting. It's no longer dusty. No. Um, no, the roads are paved. Yes, and there's it's, it's all the modern amenities or we have all the modern amenities are there now. But at the time it was dusty mm-hmm. and they met at dawn. Well, it was it was a pre-Raphaelite society. Yes. You know? And 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 so all the roads were dusty because it was pre-Raphaelite. Yes. We know they met at dawn on a dusty road in Princeton. Mm hmm. Um, it was a it was a dank, it was a dank, soupy summer day. Um, on the dusty roads of Princeton, uh, an aide presented them with pistols. Jefferson chose his weapon first. Burr chose his weapon second. They they were back to back. They they squared off and marked mm-hmm. uh, ten paces apiece. They turned and fired. Both men were wounded. Both subsequently died from those wounds. And we're still paying the price. As a, as a, as a country, we're still paying the price. That's right. And that's, I think, the point that is most resonant. Uh, what you were saying, that they put the rights of the individual ahead of the rights of the collective. And as a result, we're still paying the price. It's so tragic. It's so tragic, both because it led to the Civil War and because now we're still paying the price. Ding, 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 ding. 70% of topic covered alert. Yeah. Because it's such a perfect illustration um, of their own petty grievances supplanting the rights of the nation. Mm-hmm. And you could say, by extension, the world, because America is the beacon to which all other nations look. Mm-hmm. Um, well, and, and I mean, and you know, you, you, you make the point about petty grievances, you know, it's as a result of that. Now, out of every bad thing, there are going to be some good things. And one of the things that came out of that was the whole small claims court movement. Yes. Because you had made the point about that their petty grievance that, you know, led to this national tragedy. And you even mentioned the civil war, which, as I said, that is one version of it. But what it did lead to was the whole movement of of the institution of a small claims court. Right. Well, it was, I I believe, and I may have I may have my history crossed here, and I will I will check this out afterwards. But I believe it was President George Washington who, mm-hmm. after the duel, said, "We need to have a better way to solve these petty grievances. Mm-hmm. What about a small claims court?" Yes, that sounds right to me. That uh, sounds right to me. And it was immediately established. Yes. Uh, and and ratified by mm-hmm. all the states, mm-hmm. and that is it was a it was a close vote. It was a close vote. It wasn't a landslide. Oh no! Um, I know that Delaware held out, mm-hmm. and I know that. Oh yes, I, when I said it was ratified by all the states, of course I meant except for Delaware. Well, Delaware held out, but then eventually uh, caved in. And yes, voted. that's what I meant. I meant yeah. it was ratified except for Delaware, but then eventually they did ratify it as, also. But they held out. For a long time. Yes. Um, they didn't want it. They didn't want it. No. Um, the, de- the, the delegate from Delaware, um, whose name was John Peabody. Um, I think that was his name. I believe you're right. Um, was representing his constituency. And they were vehemently opposed to small claims court. And the reason is um, because they did feel that this would drag 
the, uh, the state as an entity into a situation where it was having to rule on issues of individuals. Right. And there was going to be a kind of inherent conflict or yes. tension uh, between those that were elected to serve and those who elected them. Yes. And I know. And, and it, it, it's, and, it was, it's this juicy tension that I, is so interesting yes. to me. It's so juicy. It's like thick. It, it is. It's a, it's a thick, viscous juice. And, and that's where all of the, of the interesting. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's just very interesting. It's dribbling out. Yes. You know, I mean, yes. it's like, it's like this well, hot, salty yes. juice just dribbling out of it. Yes. Um, and it's that, that juice is so rich in nutrients. And that's why we get these. Uh, it's a savory juice. Yes, it's very savory. And, I'm, and, and I am savoring it right now. I'm savoring it in my mouth because we're trying to we need to savor it and sort of roll it around in our mouth to 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 just to resolve these these mm -hmm. these these issues these topics yeah, you, well you have to like get it get it in your mouth and let it roll it around in your cheeks mm -hmm. under underneath your tongue and just savor it i'm doing that now and it is it's delicious, but there's also maybe you maybe you feel this way, maybe you don't. There's a slight bitterness to it mm -hmm. because you know the flavor is so complex. Well, we haven't it hasn't we haven't figured it out yet. I think right. that's what you're saying. We've been unable to swallow it for over two hundred years. Yes, which is so sad, really, and tragic but, in so many but ways. But is it because? Um, at the same time, it's that juicy tension that I think keeps the Republic so dynamic. Mm, so true. You know, so uh, true. There are certain nations, and now I'm thinking about Great Britain, for example. Yeah. That's had, you know, Great Britain obviously has had the same king for 50 or 60 years. And, you know, we were... We were but they're, they 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 have a prime minister too so i mean they you know the it's no no longer a monarchical society in the strict sense of it right oh no no but 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 it is it is i think fair to say that the king does ultimately wield the the final decision in any uh, oh, in, in, yes, yes yes absolutely absolutely i didn't in any way mean to suggest otherwise uh and as a result that nation ever since the second world war when the the new king was installed has uh, you know stagnated just a little bit floundered a bit um and it's because they don't have this kind of juicy tension this constant no. renewal this rebirth yeah. mm -hmm. so you know mm -hmm. and and we were talking about president george washington who of course was our first president he easily could have taken up the reins of the monarchy himself yeah. after right, fighting to right. depose a monarch yes. uh, in the Revolutionary War, but yeah. chose he, not to. Well, because he was, and I think this is this is in a lot of ways bringing things not full circle, but maybe semi-circle. 80% circled. Okay. Is he was a visionary. Hmm. Now, I know that you're not thinking that that has anything to do with the circle that we've created, but it does. 
because Wait, un- unpack that for a moment because I think that's that's an interesting statement that you just made. He could see something coming that hadn't even happened yet. And what he could see was his own lust for power in order for the country to flourish. He needed to subjugate his own greed and and lust for mm. power to the greater good of the common man. Ding, ding, ding. I think we hit our 80%. Because you, you really brought it to a place where it all kind of connects in, in what I think is a very magisterial way. Um, Washington, now I, now I had never thought of it this way before, but I think what you said is absolutely right. Washington was a visionary. We think of his teeth before we think of his eyes because they were made mm-hmm. of wood. But mm-hmm. as I think of his eyes now, I realize they also may have been made of wood, metaphorical wood, of course, because he was seeing so far into the future. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Hmm. He was so... He was so ahead of his time. Mm-hmm. Well, because... Th- and thank God for that. Oh, yes. Yes. Because, you know, as much as we're paying the price for uh, President Jefferson and President Burr's duel in the dusty streets of Princeton, we are reaping the rewards for President Washington's vision. Um, and-, and I think, and I think, and I think all of this in many ways was predicted in the Magna Carta. Indeed it was. Um, well, I want to thank you because I think we, we did a great job covering the rights of the individual versus the rights of the collective. I know you forced me to sort of turn it over and unpack it and look at it through um, my own wooden eyes. And so I want to thank you for that. Yeah. Well, thank you. And I actually think we're at like 82% right now. Mm -hmm. So I feel feeling really good about that. Um, yeah, it's been, it's been a really thought provoking episode of topics. I look forward to continuing our conversation on future episodes until then I will see you. Uh, Talk soon. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Topics. If you'd like to write us a letter with a question or a comment about this episode or any episode, please do. Our email address is topicspodcast at gmail.com. Thank you.